Hello and welcome back to another episode of Horribly Happy. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Sophie. And to start things off, I need to immediately apologize. Let's just get right into this. Yes. Um, last week, I referenced something on the podcast that I did not know what it meant and it was inappropriate. So I, I basically said I had um, a smooth brain and my sister, who is a nurse, informed me that that's an actual syndrome that people have and it's not something that should be joked about. And I completely agree. I had no idea. Um, I don't even know where that phrase came from in my mind, like, um, but I feel terrible about saying it and I really deeply apologize and we'll do better moving forward. Yeah. Uh, Jenna and I didn't either. I didn't catch it. I had no idea. I have not heard that phrase before. Jenna and I are obviously would not have let that happen if we would have known. So thanks Aaron for bringing it to our attention. We don't condone people using that to be funny or as a joke. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So essentially there can be something called smooth brain syndrome where somebody's brain is just not as developed as other people's. So this is something that people have and not something to be joked about. Essentially, like it, it would be like me, you know, saying the R word or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's just not an appropriate thing to say at all. So I feel really, really bad. Um, we'll no longer say that at all. I just don't even know where that came from in my mind. Like I must have heard somebody else say it, not blaming yeah. it on not blaming it on other people at all. But I just must have picked it up somewhere else because it's just so such a specific thing to say. Um, yeah. and it's just like, why is that still happening now? Like we shouldn't be you know, using words like that in like everyday use when it's not appropriate. So we'll stop using that. And I advise everybody else to to not say it as well. Yes. Uh, I agree with you. And maybe whoever you heard it from also was not aware of what it meant. So just informing people that it had a deeper meaning and, um, the true definition of it is important. So now we know, and now we won't say anymore. Yes. Yep. So thank you everyone for listening. Um, that's the episode for the week. So yeah, thanks. <laughs> Have a good one. Rate, rate, review, subscribe. <laughs> so I am back in Minnesota. I am out of quarantine. I'm out of isolation. I'm home. I literally cried when I stepped into my apartment. Thank you, Sophie, for picking me up. Sophie so nicely picked me up from the airport with my dog, Kona, and dropped me off at my house because she's a gem. It was a nice little reunion. It was. So Kona literally like crawled into my, my dog, Kona literally like crawled into my lap and didn't leave for the past two days. Like she has not left my side. Yeah. She was kind of bounced around uh, just with obviously the delay of you getting home and Zach, he had a bachelor party. So she, Kona couldn't even be in her house. So she was bopping around and just an unfamiliar place. She was fine. She totally did fine and was not having issues, but I'm sure she just was very happy to be home. Yeah. She's been thriving and it's so nice out. So we've been taking lots of, uh, 
outdoor time and, and walks as well. And she's just been loving it and so muddy. <laughs> I know that's what I hate about this time is it's just so gross. And it was even worse last week before you got back, or at least where I live, it was like the sidewalks were underwater. It was so annoying. Oh, yeah. at least the sidewalks are relatively dry now, but the grass and stuff is still really muddy. Uh, and I don't love it. My yard is really muddy and yeah. There's like a route I can take that's like towards Minneapolis, like the Minneapolis side of my neighborhood and like uh, towards these parks there and it's downhill. <laughs> so it's it's really muddy and messy. Mm. Or I can go uphill towards Edina and it's not muddy. So I've been taking the Edina route and I just feel very posh. <laughs> of course Edina's not muddy. <laughs> I know because <laughs> it's up like a hill. So it's like yeah. everything runs down into Minneapolis. Yep figures yeah the weather's nice I did see it's supposed to rain slash potentially snow again Tuesday or Wednesday but it's not you know it's kind of on the verge of freezing temps so hopefully it's short-lived and we don't get a ton of snow yeah I don't even care like so right today it was 60 or it was close to 60 degrees Fahrenheit and that's amazing obviously but I don't even care if it's like 40 like I just want it to be like not hurt to go outside yeah in the sun having it be sunny out is I walked today in a t-shirt it was great me too I was wearing a zip-up sweatshirt and a little tank top and I got so hot in the sweatshirt I was just walking around in my tank top as a true Minnesotan would okay yeah but I'm not I'm not someone who like breaks out the shorts you know when it's 40 degrees and pretends it's warm out but on my walk I saw people in straight up puffer jackets and hats and I'm like it's not that cold out okay I would have been sweating bullets like yeah I'm very sensitive when I start like walking around like that I get hot I get warm yeah but I'm it just made me so excited for spring hopefully this next coming weekend's nice because we were making some plans to maybe get some drinks maybe do a little shopping so I'm really just getting excited for the spring weather yeah for sure it would have been fun to do something this weekend but I had other plans and you were just kind of regrouping getting your life reorganized so it was a nice weekend but we didn't connect did nothing yesterday (laughs) you didn't sleep on the flight and so you were catching up on sleep yeah and I was actually doing some research for the pod oh yeah Um, yeah I I watched something that took a big majority of my day so I'll, I'll talk about that in a second here but it was beautiful I literally did nothing it was amazing I didn't talk to anybody it was so nice because well, I guess we FaceTime for like we an FaceTime. hour yeah. <laughs> or, or longer. Classic. I, cause the past two weeks I was with my family in Ireland. So yeah. I always, you know, was with somebody in the hotel room. Like I was never alone and I'm somebody that really like thrives on alone time. Like I need that to recharge. Yeah. So just doing absolutely nothing these last two days, not talking to anybody, just being by myself was exactly what I needed. Yeah. Now I'm good. ready to to see people again. <laughs> Start the work week. Speaking of um seeing people again, I returned to the office last week. Yep, Sophie's back. I'm back. I went in three days. Um 
so I went into the office Monday, Tuesday, and I work from home Wednesday and I woke up Wednesday morning, like, okay, it must be Friday. Like I had the exhaustion of, as if I had been working all week, but I had only worked two days and it was cause I went in, which, oh my gosh, it was, it was good. It was really nice to see people. I've just decided I'm going to have like a good attitude about it because there's no reason to get upset. Like I'm not going to change anything by being mad that I'm returning to the office. And honestly, I'm a relatively social person. So, uh, I'm enjoying it and I enjoy seeing people. That's a good attitude to have. That's a really good attitude to have. And it's like nice getting ready and wearing cute clothes again. Like I have been only doing that on the weekends and not even consistently on the weekends. Yeah. Same. Uh, so yeah, but ask me in a month and I'll probably be like, yeah, it's not that fun anymore. So <laughs> yeah, I, I so I, um, work from home and it, I'm like never going back to the office because my position's fully remote. And mm-hmm. I was like seeking out a position like that because I, uh, well, I have like a pretty traumatic experience in an office, not anything like, um, terrible, but I just like hate, absolutely bad, hate my job and like bad work environment. Hate, the most toxic work environment. Um, so I was like, you know what? I think I'm, I'm not going to do this anymore. Um, so I really would dread going back into an office, but that's because I like sought out something like this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I know, you know, you are like a little social butterfly and you also live alone, which I don't. So it's like different too, because I Zach comes home from work and I like talk his ear off where you get to you know get your social battery charged or whatever at the office yeah right yeah so has has it been like or sorry what were you gonna say just yeah in the evenings I'm not guaranteed to see someone to chit chat with so it's nice to do it during the day in the office yeah so was it like weird going in or did it feel somewhat normal it it was kind of crazy how fast it felt normal. Um, it kind of just like felt like deja vu, but it was weird. Like uh, Thursday I was in the office and I was like, I'm going to treat myself to Starbucks. Um, and I used to do that when I go in the office on Thursdays before COVID. And I forgot where the Starbucks was. Like I went down the wrong street and I was like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? Like I don't know. It just felt weird. Like I was like, okay, I know I've been gone for two years, but like I did this all the time. Um, it was nice. Like work provided lunch for us all last week. So it was nice not having to like worry about lunch and meal. I like meal prep when I'm going into the office. So it was just one less thing to worry about and make the transition a little smoother. So yeah, it was nice. Uh, it was good seeing people. Um, this one guy in my office, like it was crazy. He, had just kind of started seeing someone before we left and now he's married and has a baby on the way and I was oh like my god so much can change in two years yeah that's wild when he's looking for a house I was like giving him crap I was like wow like just <laughs> checking all the boxes he's like yeah Ugh. he's like it's a lot it's overwhelming he is that's oh. crazy yeah wow well that's fun fun for you great attitude um do you think you'll like take the bus into work or like, how does that, I guess you don't live that close anymore. I don't, I used to take the bus when I first started working because I lived really close. 
Um, I did look at the bus system from where I live now, and I think there would be two transfers and it would take like over an hour to get to work. So I am just going to pay for parking, which um, kind of an internal struggle because I really like public, the idea of public transportation. I really enjoy, I like actually liked it when I did it before. I mean, it was easy. It just takes away the commute, but to lose, to already be having to get up to get ready and then to lose another hour just commuting when I live 20 minutes by car, it's just not. Yeah, no, that's not feasible. That Minneapolis, like, we need better public transportation. I know they're working on it, but I'm like a huge, I'm I'm like, I love public transportation. Like I research it for fun. Um, I'm in a Facebook group called a num, it's a num tot. Do you know what that is? No. Okay. I don't want to expose myself. We can talk about a different time. It's basically just like a Facebook group where it's people that are like hardos about public transportation and they're obsessed, Okay. but it's like memes and stuff. Yeah. Um, It's fun. Anyways. But like, it's just like, the only way public transportation is feasible is if you like live like downtown St. Paul or downtown Minneapolis, it's not feasible other places unless like that's your only option, then you can make do, but it's not like your first choice. Yeah. And, um, I haven't done public transportation since COVID, but pre-COVID, I would take the bus to work and I felt completely safe. There's lots of commuters and even high schoolers because there's a high school downtown St. Paul. But I will say like after hours at night, I don't think it's something I would have felt comfortable doing, which is such a bummer because it's cheap and can get you from Minneapolis to St. Paul pretty slick. Um, So yeah, I don't know. I, I hope it can get better. Jenna and I have both have, have experience being abroad and um, I use public transportation every day when I studied abroad in South Africa and it's it's just nice. Yeah, like between I mean, and there's cities like this in the states, just not Minneapolis, you know, like some of the East Coast cities are much better than yeah, what we have here. But like between trains, trams, and buses, like in the public transport I've experienced in Central Europe is just like absurdly amazing. <laughs> like I, I miss it. It was incredible yeah in South Africa it was uh it was like literally just like big white vans and they just would make stops and you'd pay them like close to nothing but they would just cram as many people as possible in these buses so there's many times I was just like sitting on the floor (laughs) or sitting on someone's lap or like sitting in the center console of the driver and the passenger it was uh this was like state like government funded transportation yeah like this is just what people did that's wild um yeah it was wild well I should say it was what um and we don't need to get into this but South Africa they categorize into white black and colored like they say those words and it's just like okay there so it's really how blacks and colored people traveled not really white people but uh me and um my other other people from my university who were white traveled and we did get some looks but like no issues man yeah no issues how did like white I guess white people like 
cars or like what was their form of transportation yeah they would just drive okay and they would be like you take the, you take the what, what was it called what would they call it the bus maybe and they're just like isn't your stuff getting stolen we're like no oh wow that's crazy yeah, yeah south africa is a time warp we can talk yeah. about it another time but yeah you should do an episode on it i should maybe i'll do it on apartheid Yes, that would like be the, so fascinating. Yeah. yeah, good idea. I'll add it to my list of ideas. Okay, cool. Um, another thing we want to talk about is March Madness is going on. Um, and I was just telling Jenna that I have a group of um, Bennies and Johnnies that has, it has grown a lot that I've done every year for March Madness. I don't, someone else handles it and organizes it but anyway so I submitted my bracket oh, by the year. way Benny's and Johnny's is, is like the, that's the school she, yeah, for, for college she's referring to <laughs> she had the same bed, so she was a Benny yeah sorry if you're not local <laughs> you wouldn't catch that yeah um yes other people from my university and college and Anyway, I joined it and I had chosen Kentucky to win, which huge bummer. Kentucky lost first round. Yeah. Super sweet for me. So I went in to go look at my bracket and like just see where I stood. And I realized I had entered the bracket from the previous year and not this year. So um had to get my money back and I feel a little stupid. Sophie has the technological capabilities of like a a boomer like you <laughs> no, Jenna I do I was just showing someone this weekend um a video of the whale watching I took in Hawaii and my finger is in the corner no, no. are you kidding me you're <laughs> literally a boomer like that's not okay <laughs> no I feel like I didn't always used to be this way I don't think you used to either <laughs> like I really don't it's like it's like the past few years I like try to explain something to you or have you do something and I'm just like shocked (laughs) yeah it's bad it's okay I'm just like kind of baffled yeah me too (laughs) it's disappointing for sure (laughs) hey that's okay you have other strengths yeah so yeah. I didn't even enter a bracket. So at least you like filled one out, even though it was for the wrong year. Yeah, but guess who's in first place in their bracket? Hey, mm-hmm. that's true. <laughs> You're in first and last place, technically. Yeah, but <laughs> I don't know. I don't first. like filling out brackets because, well, mainly because I am lazy, but also because I don't like like feeling obligated like I have to watch something like I just like tuning in when I want to tune in and I do tune in you know when um the fun games are when like I'm not doing anything but sometimes like having that schedule just makes me feel pressure like the bachelor and bachelorette like I hated (laughs) having that because I felt like obligated every weeknight yeah that's totally fair I will say I don't feel pressure to watch the games and typically I just tune in when they're on, but I have watched zero games. And now that my team's out, I don't care anymore and I'm not even in a bracket. So whatever, but yeah, like the championship game is always fun. And like the final four. Yeah. Did you see that the Duke coach 
retired. No. Follow that story. Um, so Coach K, the Duke coach that has been coach, was their coach for so many yeah. years and had like a super winning history, all that. So Duke and North Carolina have like a huge rivalry every year. They yep. play each other and it's like this huge rivalry. Um, so Coach K's last game, like home game in his court, was against North Carolina. And North Carolina is bad this year. Like, okay. they weren't even ranked, and Duke was ranked, and Duke had a really good season. So, Coach K's last game, he's he's the Duke coach. Last game in his home court, North Carolina absolutely blows them out of the water. Like, it was a blowout. How sad and embarrassing. And like, how yeah. did he blow it? For, like, how the players they blew it for him. Oh God, that. Like he's like a famous coach, like yes, and this is like a famous rivalry, and like so many, like I saw some like NBA players that previously played for Coach K. They're like tweeting like, literally, how embarrassing! Like how would how could you do this to him? (laughs) Yeah, like they're not like mad at they're not like oh it's his fault. They're like how did the players let him down so badly? Yeah, exactly. Jeez, no, I didn't know that. That Yeah, embarrassing. It, it is embarrassing, but I'm a North Carolina fan, so I was kind of like, "Woo!" <laughs> <laughs> it's funny I'm that I'm a, North I'm, I'm a UNC. I'm a UNC fan. When literally, like everything in my life, I should be a Duke fan because UNC is like a public university, and Duke is like a small private college in North Carolina. Yeah, and <laughs> like we both went to a private high school, a private college. Yeah, and I'm like. Woo, go UNC. Yeah, that's funny. But anyways, enough basketball mm-hmm. talk. Yeah. <laughs> um, I shall I get into my story? Yeah, I was gonna say I don't think we had anything else to catch up on. Um, I'm excited to hear your story considering you did so much research <laughs> for it. Okay, I've been like absolutely fascinated by this story um, ever since I heard about it. And a new Hulu limited series was released. Um, and I thought it was fully out. It's not. So I was a little disappointed because I didn't get to finish it. I think there's like three episodes left. Okay. So I watched the first five or however many are out right now. Okay. And it was like amazing. Okay. So I'm going to tell a story. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to say the, the subject. <laughs> So this story is the rise and fall of Elizabeth Holmes. Okay. Do you know? I've been wanting to tune into that. Okay. Show. So Elizabeth Ann Holmes is an American former biotechnology entrepreneur who was convicted of criminal fraud. And I've just like been absolutely fascinated by this story. And the limited series is so good. Amanda Seyfried plays. Yeah. Um, Holmes and she is just like absolutely killing it it's just um, it's amazingly produced um, and it's actually based off of a podcast called The Dropout and the show on Hulu is also called The Dropout okay so I haven't listened to the podcast but if you're interested in tuning in that way I've heard it's amazing I mean they made a a Hulu show out of it so it must be amazing but the Hulu show is really good as well so my sources this week are Business Insider, Wikipedia, and NewYorkTimes.com. 
I'm going to take you through the timeline of the rise and fall of Holmes. Um, feel free to stop if you have any questions because there's a lot going on here. And I feel very knowledgeable after watching the limited series. Okay. <laughs> so in 2014, blood testing startup Theranos and its founder, Elizabeth Holmes, were on top of the world. And the name of the company, Theranos, she named it that because it's like a combination of therapy plus diagnosis. So back then, Theranos was a revolutionary revolutionary idea brought up by a woman hailed as a genius who styled herself as a female Steve Jobs. Holmes was the world's youngest female self-made billionaire, and Theranos was one of Silicon Valley's unicorn startups valued at an estimated $9 billion. So a unicorn startup is when you're valued at over a billion dollars. Okay. It's just freaking crazy. Yeah. So she was like a big deal. Yeah. And this company was a big deal. Like unicorn companies are a really big deal. But then it all came crashing down. All right. I'm going to go back to the beginning with Elizabeth so you can like learn some more information about her. Elizabeth was born on February 3rd, 1984 in Washington, D.C., Her mom, Noelle, was a congressional committee staffer, and her dad, Christian Holmes, worked for Enron before moving to other government agencies like USAID and EPA. Um, So have you heard anything about Enron? No. Okay. (laughs) I should do a story on Enron. Okay. Um, So uh, Holmes's father was vice president at Enron, and that was an energy company that later went bankrupt after an accounting fraud scandal. Like, it was, like, a big deal and all over the news, like, very much drama. At age nine, Holmes told relatives she wanted to be a billionaire when she grew up. Her relatives described her as saying it with the utmost seriousness and determination at age nine. Holmes had an intense competitive streak from a young age. She often played Monopoly with her younger brother and cousin, and she would insist on playing until the end, collecting the houses and hotels until she won. If Holmes was losing, she would often storm off. More than once, she directly ran through a screen door. Oh. More than once. More than once. Yeah. In high school, Elizabeth did Mandarin Chinese tutoring. And partway through high school, she began attending Stanford University's summer Mandarin program in Beijing. In 2002, Holmes attended Stanford, where she studied chemical engineering and worked as a student researcher and laboratory assistant in the School of Engineering. And she, um, I think she got a presidential scholarship to Stanford, which was like a huge deal. Like, like you got like research grants or whatever as like a freshman in college, um, And she was, like, top of her class, like, always known for being very, very smart. Holmes spent the summer after her freshman year interning at a Genome Institute in Singapore. She got the job partly because she spoke Mandarin. Holmes soon filed a patent application for a medical device uh, that basically was, like, a wearable device that you could administer medication, monitor uh, patient's blood, and adjust the dosage as needed, um, which is, like, not heard of ever and her professors after she filed that patent basically said like this isn't possible like at all yeah yeah um but like she was like constantly thinking of ideas like that that was the first patent she filed while she was still in college 
However, shortly after that, in March 2004, she dropped out of Stanford School of Engineering and used her tuition money as seed funding for a consumer healthcare technology company. Um, so she dropped out, I think it was either after her sophomore year or partway through her sophomore year. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Theranos' business model was based around the idea that they could run blood tests using proprietary technology that required only the finger pinprick and a small amount of blood. Holmes said the test would be able to detect medical conditions like cancer and cholesterol. So, you know, normally when you do like do blood tests, you have to like draw it out of a vial. They take a bunch of blood. Yeah. It's a big needle. Yep. This would just be one finger prick and they yeah. can run over a hundred tests on that one finger prick. Yep. So never been done before. Super revolutionary. That's what the company set out to do. Holmes started raising money for Theranos from prominent investors like Oracle founder, Larry Eliason and Tim Draper, the father of a childhood friend and founder of prominent VC firm. Doesn't matter the name. (laughs) (laughs) Theranos raised more than $700 million and Draper continues to defend Holmes to this day. Holmes took investigators money on the oh sorry investors <laughs> yes getting ahead of myself <laughs> yeah I was like <laughs> Holmes took investors money on the condition that she wouldn't have to reveal how Theranos technology worked plus she would have final say over everything having to do with the company so all these people were investing not knowing how the technology worked yeah yeah that obsession with secrecy extended to every aspect of Theranos For the first decade Holmes spent building her company, Theranos Theranos operated on stealth mode. She took three former Theranos employees to court claiming they had misused trade secrets. So they were like super secretive in the show. Like you can't even talk in between departments, like on a need to know basis. Holmes' attitude towards secrecy and running a company was borrowed from a Silicon Valley hero of hers, former Apple CEO, Steve Jobs. She even started dressing in all black turtlenecks like Jobs, decorated her office with her fav- with his favorite furniture like Jobs, and never took vacation like him. Like, he was, like, a known hero. Like, she would, like, go to, like, Apple events, and, like, she was, like, a fangirl type thing for him. It's kind of weird. <laughs> yeah. Like, the furniture and, like, dressing like him. Yeah. Unnecessary. So... This is so interesting because have you ever heard her talk? Yeah. Why does she talk like that? It's super low. Yeah. Right. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. It's like, I I don't want to even try to imitate it. It's super low. Even Holmes' uncharacteristically deep voice may have been a part of a carefully crafted image intended to help her fit into a male dominated business world. Um, so apparently sometimes she even fell out of character, particularly after drinking a lot and would speak in a higher, more normal voice. Um, yeah. Go yeah. Ahead. So some employees say that like when they first started off with her, her voice was normal. And then years and years go by and her voice was like super low. Like she changed it over time as like, she started wanting to be like a more serious in the industry. Well, you can just tell it's strained. It's so unnatural. And I saw a TikTok of Amanda Seyfried. Yeah. Talking about how she kind of talked like that. And I was like, gosh, your throat must hurt. No. And she does it 
amazingly in the show. Oh, like I can't it's wait to watch. So good. It's so good. Holmes was a demanding boss and she wanted her employees to work as hard as she did. She had her assistants track when employees arrived and left each day. To encourage people to work longer hours, she started having dinner catered to the office around 8 p.m. each night. So dumb. I like getting ready for bed. Yeah. (laughs) Like, that's um, so manipulative. Yep. Like, I get it's a startup, but also you need to let your employees sleep. Yep. Shortly after Holmes dropped out of Stanford at age 19, so kind of like a time warp here, she began dating... Theranos president and COO Sonny Balwani, who was 20 years her senior. The two Ooh. met during Holmes' uh, Stanford summer Mandarin program, the summer before she went to college. So the show actually like details their relationship a lot more than I'm going to detail here. Um, but they they were basically um, super close after they met in the summer Mandarin program, and then. They weren't like together in any way, at least as the show depicts until later on. But like she was still very young. I think she was like 19 or 20 when they got together and he's 20 years her senior. Okay. Um, And then they're together and she brings him onto the company as COO and people don't know that they're together while he's working there. Uh, Balwani became Holmes number two at Theranos despite having little experience. He was said to be a bully and often tracked his employees' whereabouts. Holmes and Balwani eventually broke up in spring of 2016 when Holmes pushed him out of the company. In 2008, the Theranos board decided to remove Holmes as CEO in favor of someone more experienced. So she was really, really young in 2008, Um, you know, early 20s. Yeah. But over the course of a two-hour meeting, Holmes convinced them to let her stay in charge of the company. So they tried, like, they saw negligence and tried to kick her out, but she convinced them otherwise. As Theranos started to rake in millions of funding, Holmes became the subject of a media attention and acclaim in the world, in the tech world specifically. She graced the covers of Fortune and Forbes and gave a TED Talk and also spoke on panels with Bill Clinton and Alibaba's Jack Ma. So she was, like, becoming a really, really big deal. Yeah, yep. Theranos quickly began securing outside partnerships. Capital Blue Cross and Cleveland Clinic signed on to offer Theranos tests to their patients, and Walgreens made a deal to open a Theranos wellness testing center in their stores. Theranos also formed a secret partnership with Safeway worth $350 million. In 2011, Holmes hired her younger brother, Christian, to work at Theranos, although he didn't have any medical or science background. And Christian spent his early days at Theranos reading about sports online and recruiting his Duke University fraternity brothers to join the company. Duke. (laughs) Full circle. People dubbed Holmes and his crew the Frat Pack and Thera Bros. Yeah, I could see it. At one point, Holmes was the world's youngest self-made billionaire with a net worth of around $4.5 billion. Oh my gosh. Holmes was obsessed with security at Theranos, and she asked everyone who visited the company's headquarters to sign non-disclosure agreements before being allowed in the building. And then she also had security guards um, escort guests everywhere, including the restroom. Oh my gosh. However, around this same time, as things are looking good, questions are being raised about Theranos technology. 
Ian Gibbons, chief scientist at Theranos and one of the company's uh, first hires, warned Holmes that the tests were not ready for the public to take and that there were inaccuracies in the technology. Outside scientists began voicing their concerns about Theranos too. So I'm going to get into Ian Gibbons here a little bit because it's actually heartbreaking. Um, Ian was one of the first employees at Theranos, had a really close relationship with uh, Holmes. And as the company grew and uh, Sonny Balwani came on, he was kind of outed into a a different circle and and ostracized ostracized from that group as he began voicing concerns. and there was a lawsuit against Elizabeth Holmes and uh, Ian Gibbons was called to testify in that lawsuit against her as a witness. So he faced the decision of either breaking his non-disclosure or lying in court. Yeah. And devastatingly, he actually died by suicide. <gasps> And okay, I guess I'm curious about how non disclosures work, which you may not be able to answer this when it comes to the court. You know, it's like, yeah, I don't know either. I should have researched that because so that's actually like where the show left off right now. So, spoiler sorry if you're gonna watch the show. Um, it's because it was like such a hard decision for him, and he was facing he like. The, the, it was years and years of problems at Theranos. So it wasn't just like one thing that like set him over the edge. Yeah. Like, he was like, he literally went to, he wasn't involved in any projects anymore at the end. He just like went to work, sat at a computer, not even in the lab anymore. And like stared at the time because he had nothing to do. Wow. Um, so he was facing issues, but like, it was just ugh, so devastating. Like it is. Cause that like times I feel bad for Elizabeth and then I'm like, n- no like look at these look at these actions that have real life consequences yep totally it's just like heartbreaking and I just wanted to touch on Ian because it is a true story like the show depicts that really well his story really really well and in my research there wasn't a bunch on Ian it it doesn't go into that in my research so so I just wanted to say what the show highlights because yeah it's true too it's important Yeah. So by August 2015, the FDA began investigating Theranos and regulators from the government body that oversee laboratories found major inaccuracies in the testing Theranos was doing on patients. And by October 2015, Wall Wall Street Journal reporter John Carrier, Carrier Rowe, interesting last name, Carrier Rowe, published his investigation into Theranos' struggles with its technology. Harry Rowe's reporting sparked the beginning of the company's downward spiral. And apparently Elizabeth received wind that he was doing a report on her and she tried suing him and basically harassing him into not releasing the article. And he did anyways, which is like, yes, freedom of press. Yep. Carrie found that Theranos blood testing machine named the Edison couldn't give accurate results. So instead, Theranos was running its samples through the same machine used by traditional blood testing companies. So they're saying that they're disrupting this blood 
you know, extremely old blood testing industry and these extremely old machines by their groundbreaking machine, the Edison, but they won't disclose any information on the Edison. And it turns out they're not actually doing tests on the Edison because it doesn't work. So they're using the old system, the old system. Wow. After that article was released, Holmes appeared on CNBC's Mad Money uh, and she tried to defend herself. She said, this is what happens when you work to change things. And first they think you're crazy. Then they fight you. And then all of a sudden you change the world. At this point, like that's just delusional. Yeah. Because like her tests don't work and she knows it. So by 2016, the FDA, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, and the C or SCC were all looking into Theranos. In July 2016, Holmes was banned from the lab testing industry for two years. And by October, Theranos had shut down its laboratories and uh, its lab operations and wellness centers. In March 2018, Theranos, Holmes, and Balwani were charged with massive fraud by the SEC. Holmes agreed to give up financial and voting control of the company, pay a $500,000 fine, and return 18.9 million shares of Theranos stock. She also isn't allowed to be a director or officer of publicly traded companies for 10 years. Despite all these charges, Holmes was allowed to stay on as CEO of Theranos because it was a private company. Yeah. In Theranos' final days, Holmes reportedly got a Siberian husky puppy named Balto that she brought into the office. This is just like such a weird fact. Um, However, the dog wasn't potty trained and would go to the bathroom inside the company's office and during meetings. Like, really strange. Weird. (laughs) Really weird. I feel like a dog probably shouldn't be in a lab environment. Right. Close to a lab environment. But also, like, your company is like in the worst state it's ever been. You get a dog and just like come bring it, let it pee all over the office. Just like really strange. Yeah. In June, 2018, Theranos announced that Holmes was stepping down as CEO. On the same day, the Department of Justice announced that a federal grand jury had charged Holmes along with Balwani with nine counts of wire fraud and two counts of conspiracy to commit wire fraud. And this is like a big deal because I'll get into this a bit later, but typically with like big tech and startups, like there's like, she was reprimanded already, you know, by not being allowed to do certain things and charge $500,000 having to get back a stock. But typically like you're not actually like charged by the department of justice. Like got it. that's like a step that do- it hasn't been taken with other like, big tech and, and Silicon Valley. Theranos sent an email to shareholders in September 2018 announcing that the company was shutting down. She reportedly said it uh, it planned to spend the next few months repaying its creditors with its remaining resources, which is nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Around the time Theranos was coming to an end, Holmes made her first public appearance alongside William, alongside William Billy Evans, a 27-year-old heir to the hospitality property management company in California. So she has a new boyfriend. It was later reported that Holmes and Evans got engaged in early 2019 and then married in June. Uh, so be, um, partly because of this and partly because uh, there was like, well, the, uh, Holmes and Balwani were being charged with the same thing, um, but because they were like 
separated. I don't really know the logistics of it, but I think part of it was that she was with a new partner. They are now trying their cases separately. Got it. So they're being charged for the same things, but being tried separately. Uh, Besides the criminal case, Holmes was also involved in a number of civil lawsuits, including one in Arizona brought by a former Theranos patient over inaccurate blood tests. Holmes lawyers in the federal case had tried to get the government, uh, the government's entire case thrown out. And in February 2020, Holmes caught a slight break after some of the charges against her were dropped when a judge ruled that the patients didn't suffer any financial loss. It soon became clear that the pandemic and health risks associated with assembling a trial would make a July trial date unrealistic. That's when it was supposed to be, July yeah. 2020. So they decided to postpone it to March 2021. So okay. essentially a year ago. Yeah. In March 2021, Holmes requested another delay to the trial because she was pregnant. Nice. She, <laughs> she asked to push back the trial to August 31st and her request was granted. Holmes gave birth reportedly in July. And heading into the trial, it was reported that Holmes said she felt wronged, like Salem witch trial wronged. The trial mm-hmm. kicked off in September. In opening statements, prosecutors argued that out of time and out of money, Elizabeth Holmes decided to lie. Meanwhile, the defense argued that although Theranos ultimately crumbled, failure is not a crime. Trying your hardest and coming up short is not a crime. Prosecutors had a bunch of witnesses, including a bunch of Theranos employees. However, the defense uh, called only three witnesses, including Holmes herself, which is super interesting. Yeah. On the stand, Holmes said that Sonny Balwani emotionally and sexually abused her during the relationship. She testified that Balwani controlled what she ate and how she, how her schedule looked, told her she had to become a new Elizabeth to succeed in business and forced her to have sex with him when she didn't want to, because he would say he wanted to know that he still loved me. Holmes also admitted that she added some pharmaceutical company logos to Theranos reports without authorization. So she would like, um, she would like do a Theranos report and then add the Pfizer logo to the top of it without authorization. Yep. No, can't do that. (laughs) Investors previously said that they took reassurance in those reports because based on the logos, they thought major pharmaceutical companies had validated Theranos technology. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, and she's vetted companies. They think these vetted companies are standing behind Theranos and they weren't. And um, Theranos tried to partner with pharmaceutical companies like Pfizer and others and the deals didn't go through because they wouldn't show them the technology because it wouldn't work yeah (laughs) it's like crazy Holmes said that the low she added the logos to convey that work was done in partnership with those companies even though it's not Not true true. Uh, and in hindsight she wishes she would have done it differently Holmes also acknowledges on the stand that she hid Theranos's use of modified commercial devices from investors And she said she did this because the company counsel told her that alterations to the company made the machines, uh, the company made to the machines were trade secrets and needed to be protected as such. So like everything was like, oh, it's a trade secret. So we can't tell you. In closing arguments, prosecutors argued that Holmes chose fraud over business failure, while the defense argued that she was building a business, not a criminal enterprise. 
Jurors deliberated for a total of seven days. And over the next few weeks before uh, telling the court on January 3rd that they were deadlocked on three of the 11 charges against Holmes. So they're like really debating what should be done. Yeah. So the judge gave them some further instructions and then they went back. Hours later, the jury returned a mixed verdict for Holmes, finding her guilty on one count of conspiracy to defraud investors and three counts of wire fraud. They found her not guilty on four other counts and failed to reach a verdict on the remaining three counts. So essentially she was found guilty on all, um, on all charges that were related to investments, but she wasn't found guilty on any of the charges involving patients who received inaccurate test results. Got it. So she now faces the possibility of decades in prison. Each count carries a maximum of 20 year prison sentence and a $250,000 fine and a requirement to pay victims restitution. So legal experts told uh, Insider that it's unlikely Holmes will get 20 years at sentencing, but she probably won't get off without serving any time. So she'll probably have to serve some time. Holmes was not taken into custody following the verdict, and she will remain free until her September sentencing. So September 2022. (sighs) Wow. So that is the story of the rise and fall of Elizabeth Holmes. Sonny Boswani, he we'll start his trial somewhat soon, but I'm okay. expecting the same results. Yeah. So I also just like wanted to touch on this because she is a, a woman in a male dominated industry. Mm-hmm. I read this opinion piece on the New York times website and it was super interesting. I'm going to read a few quotes from it. Okay. Elizabeth Holmes followed the Silicon Valley playbook to a T She was focused and ambitious. She had a compelling vision to help humanity with technology for blood tests. And her ambition, she said, was driven by fear of personal needles. She fit the pattern of the young, brilliant college dropout, even dressing like Steve Jobs. Questionable, unethical, even dangerous behavior has run rampant in the male-dominant world of tech startups, though never has been charged with crimes. So... WeWork's Adam Newman and Uber's Travis Kalanick hyped their way into raising over $10 billion for their companies, claiming they would disrupt their stagnant and tired industries, but they weren't charged with crimes. Yeah. So it's just saying like, yes, the um, startup world is rampant with unethical and dangerous behavior. Mm-hmm. Um and it should be looked at. This That's what this person was arguing. But the fact that Elizabeth is the only one charged, like actually charged in court for it, is kind of crazy. And it's like, are they trying to set a standard with her and scare people? Um, maybe. But also, I guess, in my opinion, because I've actually like looked into WeWork and... Mm-hmm. Uber's story because they're they've been in the news as well and it's like crazy and fascinating as well but also the thing with Theranos it was like this is like you're a medical company mm-hmm. we work and Uber and there's plenty of other examples that have like ethical unethical um decision making and stuff like that 
but like when you're a medical company, you need to be held to a higher standard because these are people, this is people's lives. Yes. But also like, that's not what she was charged with. She didn't get charged with any of the, um, uh, inaccurate to the patients. Yeah, yeah. She didn't get charged with anything in regards to patients. She was only charged with defrauding investors, which plenty of other people have done those guys yeah. specifically. So it just kind of called into question, like the sexism that's in Silicon Valley and tech startups and how like Elizabeth faced the brunt of that. Um, but also, so that's where I feel bad for her because I'm like, she was just trying so hard. And like, this is like what people were telling her to do essentially. Yeah. Um, but then I also think about like Ian Gibbons who mm-hmm. literally died and mm-hmm. I'm like, well, that's not okay. Whose and fault also, is that? Yeah. Yeah. Whose fault is that? Exactly. So it's, there's a lot of nuance, and it's so fascinating. I really recommend the Hulu series. I'm going to listen to the podcast as well. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how her sentencing goes. Um, it's just like, if she is being held accountable, everybody needs to be held accountable. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, I think that's that's how I feel about it. Um, I It resonates with me saying failure isn't a crime. Like you said, she was trying and she had a vision and a dream and was motivated, but it just didn't work out. And like, that's a bummer for investors who invested money into a failed product or a failed technology. But then on the other hand, she was doing unethical things. And if we want to hold people responsible for that, then we need to hold everyone responsible, not just some people. And they were literally lying. Like the device didn't work. Yeah. Yeah. What people were investing in was not what the company was actually doing. Yep. Yeah, totally. Yeah, obviously that's a oversimplified um way yeah. to kind of discuss it, but I get what you're saying. And I kind of I can understand where that opinion piece is coming from. Yeah. And it wasn't saying like she should get off. It was saying that she was just following kind of the path that other men yeah. have paved the way for yeah with, like unethical behavior and lying and deception yeah and yeah, yeah totally. it's crazy I was under the impression that before I like super looked into this story I was under the impression that at one point the device worked and then it didn't I don't know why I thought that so I was thinking like oh like maybe she was just like trying to like get back to when it worked or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I was like making those excuses in my head. Like, no, the device never worked. Ever. Yeah. It's okay. just like yeah. the technology was years and years and years away. Yeah. So yeah, just craziness, but fascinating. Yeah. Super fascinating. You get a, did a good job telling that story. I want to watch the show and, or listen to the podcast. You should um yeah that's that was it was a I, long I think story like, but I didn't want to miss any details yeah no I appreciate it it was good I knew very little about it I knew kind of the overarching story but not all those details so it was I was like I was glued in I was like <laughs> fascinated <Yeah. laughs> okay 
So my story is also kind of long and it's kind of one of those sad, happy stories that every now and then we talk about, but I'm going to tell the story about Terry Fox and my only source is Wikipedia. (laughs) I don't know how you do that. I don't know either. Like I use Wikipedia for like hard details. Yeah. But it doesn't like craft it in a nice timeline for me. Yeah. I, yes, I agree. I have to like rearrange information um, oftentimes, but yeah, I need to venture out. I was, yeah, sorry. No, it's great. You do a great job doing it. <laughs> no, but I get your point and it's true. Okay. It's fine if you want to do the extra work. <laughs> okay. So the story of Terry Fox, who I didn't know of, um, but I was I was told to do this story. So I was like, okay, I'll look into him. Or I think I saw something. I can't remember how I stumbled upon his name, but I put it in my notes and then Googled him. Okay. So Terry Fox was born on July 28th, 1958 in Winnipeg, Manitoba to parents, Roland and Betty Fox. And I just have to stop right there. Just the fact that he's from Canada and his dad's name was Roland. And (laughs) after watching Schitt's Creek, I was like, that's, I don't know why. That's just so funny to me. That's good. Um, I didn't even really know Roland was a name until I watched that show. Yeah, me either. Maybe it's Canadian. Uh, anyway, so Terry had three siblings and in 1966, his family moved to, uh, Surrey, British Columbia, and then again to Port Coquitlam in 1968. Uh, Fox developed his stubborn dedication from his mother, who is fiercely protective of him and his siblings. And he was also described as extremely competitive growing up. He played sports in high school and was even named athlete of the year his senior year. He initially wasn't sold on the idea. um, He played basketball. That was kind of like his main sport. So initially he wasn't sold on the idea of going to college once he graduated high school, but his mom eventually convinced him to attend Simon Fraser University, where he studied kinesiology with the intention of becoming a phi ed teacher. And I just thought that was interesting to study kinesiology. And then I don't know, it just feels like different than the US, but yeah. Um, interesting. Kinesiology seems, just seems very sciencey. So I'm sure it's beneficial to be a FIAD teacher, but right. Um, anyway, so he was like, he was into sports and like moving your body and stuff. So on September 12th, 1976, Fox was driving home when he got into a car accident, crashing into the back of a pickup truck. He had injured his right knee in the crash and continued to feel pain, but ignored it as he wanted to finish his JV basketball season at school. So he played on the JV basketball team in college and he wanted to finish the season. So he just didn't do anything about the pain. Oh, yeah. Which I feel like to some scale, a lot of people can relate to that. Yes. Um, In March of 1977, the pain got worse. So he finally went to the doctor where he was eventually diagnosed with osteosarcoma, a form of cancer that often starts in your knees. He thought, yeah, I didn't know that it started in your knees. Yeah, me either. Um, So Fox thought that the car accident caused this weakness in his knees that made him prone to developing this disease or cancer. But doctors said there's no connection to that. 
Um, I feel like if anything, maybe it just helped him find it sooner. Right. Yeah. That's what Um, I was thinking. Yeah. Fox was told he would have to amputate his leg and would require chemotherapy. He was also told that he had a 50% chance of survival and only two years prior to his accident, the survival rate for this cancer was only at 15%. So things had changed drastically in two years. So that was good news for him. I mean, 50 is not a great percentage, but it's pretty amazing how that jump went from 15 in only two years. Yeah. So Fox was able to walk again after just three weeks of getting his leg removed with the use of an artificial leg. Cause he's just like that guy who's just so determined. So he he get one leg removed or both just one leg removed. Yep. And, um, Along with getting his leg removed, he spent 16 months in the British Columbia Cancer Control Agency for the rest of his chemotherapy treatment. Okay. So in the summer of 1977, Rick Hansen, who worked for the Canadian Wheelchair Sports Association, invited Fox to try out for his wheelchair basketball team. And after only two months of learning how to play basketball adapted in a wheelchair he was named a member of the team for the national championship in Edmonton and won three national titles with the team yeah go him yeah yeah so he's like obviously an athlete but he just this drive he has is just crazy Uh, he was also named an all-star by the North American Wheelchair Basketball Association in 1980 wow I know it's really so hard I mean we both played basketball yeah That'd be so hard. It would be hard. It takes a lot of coordination, I feel like. Yeah. Um, yeah. So while Fox was in the hospital during his treatment, he was given an article about Dick Trom, the first amputee to compete or to complete the New York City Marathon. Mm-hmm. And the story was very inspiring for Fox. And he like conjured up this idea to run the length of Canada in hopes of increasing cancer awareness. So also he was in the hospital. He felt really discouraged about the advancements of cancer research. Uh, So he, you know, was also motivated by not only bettering himself, but wanting to, you know, help out the research and yes, yes. Spread awareness. Uh, yeah advance the research yep yeah so uh so he had this idea to run across the length of Canada and but he didn't tell his family initially he I think he initially told them that he just wanted to run a marathon so when he first started training Fox suffered pain as he needed to hop step on his good leg due to the extra time the springs in his artificial leg required to reset after each step Mm. um so I think now I, um, I think technology has advanced with, with amputations, but I've seen people with, without a leg and have an amputated leg and they run in like, I don't know how to describe it. It's kind of like an upside down question mark and there's no springs and stuff. Yes. I know what you're talking yeah. about. It looks like an and L. it allows you. Yeah. And it allows you to run faster. And I'm assuming, you know, then you don't have to have these retractable springs, but I'm not sure that kind of existed at this time because this is in the late 70s um but anyway he anyway he found out that after 20 minutes of running he crossed a 
pain threshold and the run became easier. So he would just essentially push through it the first 20 minutes of his run. Wow. <sighs> yeah. Um, and on September 2nd, 1979, Fox competed in a 17 mile road race in Prince George. He finished in last place, but his effort was met with tears and applause from other participants. After that run, he told his family of his plan to run across Canada. So that's when he disclosed this idea and that he actually wanted to do it. And initially he was met with hesitation, but eventually his family came around to fully support him. And his initial goal was to raise $1 million by doing this, but then he decided he wanted to actually raise 10 million. And then eventually he wanted to raise $1, million, $1 for each of Canada's 24 million citizens. So 24 million was his goal. Oh, wow. Fox sent a letter to the Canadian Cancer Society in the fall of 1979, where he laid out his goal and requested funding from them. And the society was skeptical of his success, but agreed to support him once he acquired sponsors and also requested that he get a, med a medical certificate from a doctor stating he was fit to attempt the run. During all of his chemotherapy and treatment and cancer diagnosis, he was, Fox was diagnosed with left ventricular hypertrophic, and which is just an enlarged heart, which is commonly associated with athletes as well. Oh yeah. So the doctors warned him, they warned him about, um, the dangers of doing that, but still allowed him to run. They essentially just said, you know, if you start feeling pain or anything, you need to stop and reevaluate. Got it. So Fox started to send letters to potential sponsors uh, including Ford Motor Company, who donated a camper van, Imperial Oil, who contributed fuel, and Adidas, giving him his running shoes. Okay. So Fox started his marathon, quote unquote, because it's much longer than a marathon, <laughs> yeah. on, on April 12th, 1980, and was supported and accompanied by his friend Doug Allward, who drove the van and cooked meals. So he would drive alongside fox and then cook the meals because fox would just run all day right so uh fox was met with gale force winds heavy rain and snowstorms his first days of the run and he received his first big donation from a town uh channel port o bosque of <laughs> i don't know these are very french sounding um of ten thousand dollars so that was his first big donation he received from this town how excited but eventually what'd you say how exciting. Yes. Yes. So uh, eventually the run started to cause tension between Fox and Alward. So Fox's brother eventually joined the caravan <laughs> once they reached Nova Scotia. So he could act as a buffer, probably just too much time spent together Yeah, <laughs> and exhausting. And yeah, when you're like running all day and exhausted. Yeah. And obviously Fox had set very high expectations for himself. Um, yeah which could be stressful. So when Fox got to Montreal, he had collected over $200,000 in donations, uh, which is a lot of money, but compared to his goal of 24 million, he was feeling pretty defeated. And, um, but then um, what's, I need to, what's this name? Is Isidore Sharp, the founder of Four Seasons Hotel and Resorts pledged $2 a mile and also convinced nearly a thousand corporations to do the same um, as this CEO had, or this, uh, what was he? 
founder, he had lost his son to melanoma a couple of years earlier. So oh, he wow. felt very passionate about this cancer research and Fox's desire to raise money and awareness. So Fox arrived in Ontario on the last Saturday in June and was met by thousands of people cheering him on. At this point, he was averaging 26 miles per day, which is in, that's a marathon a day. Are you kidding me? I can't. No, I'm not kidding you. <laughs> so if yeah. you, you ran a marathon, could you imagine doing it the day after? No, I couldn't walk for like three days. I had to ask my manager to um, stay home because I actually couldn't walk. It was so painful. Granted, I did no recovery. So <laughs> I like that's so incredible. It's almost unbelievable. Yes, it's crazy. Um, so he continued to stop in cities where he would, then he kind of started making these appearances. He would like throw first pitches, make the first kickoff. He would meet with local leaders and thousands of supporters and say speeches and stuff. And oftentimes these stops were kind of out of the way, but he, this was like how he was raising money. So he made a point to, to do them, but unfortunately the physical demands caught up to Fox, which I feel like is not surprising to anyone. That's crazy. (laughs) Um, He refused to take days off and suffered from shin splints. Um, But he was determined and refused to do regular medical checkups on his journey, which also was probably not super smart. And on September 1st, outside of Thunder Bay, he was forced to stop as he started to experience intense coughing and chest pain. He went to the hospital where it was discovered that his cancer had returned and spread to his lungs. Oh no. Yeah. So he was forced to end his run after 143 days and 3,339 miles later. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I know. Uh, so Fox had raised $1.7 million, which is equivalent to 5 million in 2020 when he had to stop. And a week after his run ended, the CTV TV network organized a telethon and raised 10.5 million, which was 33 million, which is equivalent to 33 million in 2020. Okay. So he surpassed his goal of 24 million. I know it wasn't all on the run, but either or the equivalent of 24 million. Got it. 20 money. Yeah. So, but donations continued to flow in and by April over $23 million were raised, which is equivalent to 64 million in 2020 money. So. And his goal was 24 million. Yeah. He was at 23 million. Yeah. But yeah, I guess, but equivalent to 2020 was 64 million. Right. No, it's a ton of money. It's a yeah. ton of money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess I'm not doing those conversions correctly. Well, it just putting in perspective for yes. Yes. Um, and unfortunately, on June 28th, 1981, Terry Fox passed after complications in treatment and he developed pneumonia. Oh. And uh, during Fox's run, the idea of the Terry Fox run was thought up and was like while he was running, it was discussed that they were going to do this Terry Fox run. And it was held for the first time on September 13th, 1981. And in the first six years of the run, they raised over $20 million and communities, schools, cities, and individuals participated all over the country. 
And today the Terry Fox run is the world's largest one day fundraiser for cancer research and over $750 million has been raised as of January, 2018. And his legacy lives on today. That is incredible. Yeah. That's why I said it was a happy, sad story because of course he passed, he didn't beat cancer, but I wonder how much cancer research has advanced. Um, I mean, it has to be like, that. yeah, dry. Like I'm like tearing up right now. That's so incredible. Yeah. What a huge, million. huge impact. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously like his determination and his self-discipline is super admirable. He was like that uh, well before he had cancer and lost his leg. Um, but it was just awesome how he put that. I don't know how he just made his story and put it to good use. He never gave up and has the t- determination that almost nobody else has. Like that. Yeah. That was incredible. Yeah. I've never heard of that story before. Yeah. Yeah. It was really fascinating to read about and really inspiring and just kind of heartwarming. Um, not that anyone should feel pressure to do something. I did like, I will say I did see kind of one opinion that was talking about how it kind of put pressure on other disabled people to do something magnificent with their life. And absolutely not many well-bodied people never even start to do something magnificent with their life. I'm never going to run a marathon even like, yeah, (laughs) that's what, and that's fine. Like, right. he was unique because he had drive and passion, not because he had cancer. Like, yeah, that just further drove his drive and passion. Um, and he zeroed in on cancer research, which is amazing. Yeah. So unfortunate that he passed, but I mean, the lives he changed and the legacy he left is unreal. Yeah. It's like, I'm, yeah. I'm just still in shock about his mileage per day. Yes. Yeah. I mean, even if he, the cancer wouldn't have come back, that just takes a toll on your body. Yeah. Um, and while I totally, what, well, I think what he did is amazing. Um, you know, you don't always have to push yourself to extremes, take care of your body. Maybe regular medical visits would have been beneficial for him. Yes. Um, but it, it's still an amazing story. Yeah. Uh, incredible. I've never heard of it. And I'm really happy I know about it now. And that's yeah. like a very cool um, run that happens every year, right? Yeah. The world. yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I think it's around the world, but of obviously a very big day in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Wow. I'm inspired. Um, it's 8.30 p.m. here, though, so I can't go for a run, but I feel like that makes me want to go for a run. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is super inspiring. It doesn't make me want to go for a run that much, but um, maybe. <laughs> maybe tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Maybe if the weather stays nice. Yeah, exactly. Okay, cool. Well, thanks for sharing, Soph. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Yeah. Your homework for this week is to tell a friend about our podcast, rate, review, subscribe. I saw Spotify has a star section now on podcasts. You can give us five stars there on Spotify. Let's go. And have a great rest of your week. Love you all. Stay-
stay happy. As happy as you can be. Bye. Bye.